Good morning, Griggs Memorial Baptist Church. Good to gather with you on this uh, beautiful day. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, and uh, we're just going to pretend like we're just having church, except for the singing. I will not attempt to lead you in singing, uh, as fun as that would be. And I would probably go viral for all the wrong reasons. Um, it'd be like the first couple episodes of American Idol, where people watch it, uh, not because it's filled with great singers, but uh, rather singers who think they're great, and that's usually super funny. I'm going to start off with a couple quick announcements uh, for you guys. Um, the first announcement is that during this time of, you know, social distancing, there are some ways in which we can still have community. And one of those ways is on Facebook, on a private group that anybody can join who's connected to our church, and anyone can join who is connected to the neighborhood, and that is called the Pomel Prayer Chain. So if you go uh, search Pomel Prayer Chain, or if you just want to ask me about it over Messenger, I'll get you an invite. But uh, the Pomel Prayer Chain is a way for us all to kind of stay in community with our prayer requests in particular during the outbreak and so, or just our time of social distancing or whatever they're calling it. So there's this idea, you just, you just go on the, the, the group, share whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. And um, if someone posts a prayer request in the Pomel Prayer Chain, then um, we all pray for it. And if you've prayed for it, comment on the prayer request saying that you've done so. And this is a way for us to stay connected and encouraged while we can't really meet in the physical building as much. Additionally, another uh, something to note is that we have a help request form online. If you just go to gregschurch.com, it's the first button on the main page. And uh, I believe the URL is gregschurch.com slash coronavirus. But if anyone runs into any needs. We've had a couple, which is great. We've been able to fill them. But if anyone has been, uh, that you know of at all, runs into any needs, they can fill out that form on our website, gregschurch.com, and we'll do everything we can to fill the need that they're facing during this tough time. We have been through the neighborhood, hanging out with people um, a lot this week. We've had some people laid off. We've had some people uh, need more stuff because the normal because more people are in their house all day if you got your kids at home all day and they're eating snacks all day it can be tough so we've just been able to fulfill many needs uh today we're going out about five i think it is and we're going to be just passing out basically candy to be honest with you uh snacks um pre-packaged snacks putting them in a bag griggs flyer and uh leaving them on doorsteps and on doorknobs just to show some love to the neighborhood but anyway, so remember, Pomo Prayer Chain, that's, that's a group, uh, a Facebook group we can keep connected in. Griggschurch.com slash coronavirus if anyone needs help. Um, and we'll keep connected through this. So today, we are going to continue our series as, as normal. Um, we're in a series right now on our core values that we hold to as a church. Um, we have about six uh, core values. These are things like dashboard on a car. These are gauges we want to keep track of to make sure we're keeping the main things and the main things, important things important and not getting sidetracked. And so we've talked about uh, gospel saturation, that we want to be saturated in the good news of Jesus all the time, private worship and corporate worship. That's why we're always talking about 
the gospel every week at church, um, whether that's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Gospel authenticity, want to be real. The gospel has freed us from hypocrisy. We don't have to fake it till we make it. We understand we didn't make it, but Jesus made it for us. Praise him. So we're free to admit that, to be real about our need for Jesus. Additionally, um, we have gospel service. Talked about this last week. We serve others because Jesus served us. Gospel generosity, we give because Jesus gave to us. And then um, we talked also uh, about gospel love, how we love people, not based on their merit or what they deserve, because that's not how Jesus loves us, but we love them based on the love of Christ, which is a uh, unconditional love. And so today we're going to hit that sixth core value, and that is gospel mission. Gospel mission. This is our sixth core value. Uh, we want to be a people on mission. We want to be people with mission and who who execute the mission. And here's how we say it. Uh, gospel mission. You can see this at griggschurch.com slash values. If you ever want to check out our values, but here's how we put it. Gospel mission. What we mean is this. We love the gospel and we love everybody. So we want to share the gospel with everybody. Now, I do think that to do that, we need to change a lot of how we view what is typically called witnessing. I think we need to change the way, almost the entire way we think about sharing our faith. Uh, it's not that we're thinking about it wrong, but sometimes we miss a bigger picture by just seeing a small picture. Uh, sometimes we miss the scope of things when we're just seeing a sliver of of what the commandment is to say and to teach the gospel. There's more to it than that. Um, and so we got to get into that today because I think there just needs to be an entire shift in, the, in, in our view of the world, our view of Jesus, our view of church, our view of salvation. Uh, there just needs to be a shift back to what all the Bible says about this idea of mission and not narrow it down to a little bit about what the Bible says on mission. And so let's do that. Let's get back to just the, the scope of gospel mission. What all does the Bible say about this? Well, I think the first thing that's easy to forget is what the word missionary actually means. Uh, the word missionary is not, that English word missionary is not in the Bible. No matter which uh, translation you use or version you use, you're not going to find the word missionary. It comes from a Latin word that's derived from a Greek word that is in your Bible. And that word is the word sent. That's all it means in its truest form. Missionary is a sent one, the sent one, one sent on behalf of another. Now it goes a little bit deeper than even that. It is one sent on behalf of another, but the other there is a high authority or the highest authority in the land. And so that's the original text of the word is that someone with great authority is sending someone less or lesser, smaller, lower on the chain of command than him to do something for him, to say something for him. This is the idea of missions, is that an authority sends a subject out to share his word. We see this ultimately in Jesus now, Jesus is not less than God the Father. We believe in the Trinity. We are monotheistic, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. However, within the Trinity, interestingly, something I 
can't quite explain. It's a little uh, above my pay grade. There is submission. It's not that any are less, any persons are less than the other persons of the Trinity, but we do see in the scriptures that God the Son has, at times, you see, we just see him, especially in uh, his life here on earth, he is submitting to God the Father, both equally God, but one is in submission. Additionally, the Holy Spirit uh, speaks what Jesus told him to speak, does what Jesus tells him to do, and we see that there is some submission from the Holy Spirit to God the Son. And we don't understand exactly how all this works to a T, because we're not God, which is great news, because we can't even cure the coronavirus. So we don't want to be God. We'd be all doomed if that were the case. But God is God. He is bigger and more complex than we could ever understand. And somehow in the Trinity, there is some forms of submission between the persons that make up our one God. And in in that, God the Father, we see sends God the Son as the ultimate missionary. Nobody is a greater missionary than Jesus. He is preeminent in missions. Um, I'll give you a few examples. John 13, 20. He said, he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Just where we get the word missionary. Uh, John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Again, Jesus talking about how he is on mission. John 6, 38. I came down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. He prayed that night that the world might believe that the Father has sent me. John 17, 21. So even within the Trinity, we see that there is God the Father using his authority to send the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, to do what God the Father has told him to do and to say what God the Father has told him to say. Thus, we see Jesus ultimately was a missionary. Jesus came with a mission, on mission, to seek and to save those who were lost. Now, get this. This is incredible. This is a fact you can't deny and shouldn't deny, but easy to forget. Just remember this, because it is beautiful, that when Jesus came to seek and to save that who were lost, when Jesus came to heal, when Jesus came to die on a cross for our sin, rise again from an empty tomb that was going to be left empty for the rest of time, when he did all that, we often focus on the fact that he did it for us. True. But that is the second truth. He did it for us secondarily, primarily he did it for God the Father. He did it for the glory of God. He did it in obedience to God. This is what makes him trustworthy, right? We know that he will never disobey. If he'll obey God and all that, he will never disobey God. He will never sin against us. He will never do anything that is in any way uh, harmful to us, all for his glory, all for our good. Two, this makes him the perfect sacrifice, for he is in full obedience to God the Father, sinless, thus can pay for sin, um, and three, he will never idolize us and thus put us in the wrong position. And I know it's kind of weird to think about that, but I mean, if we really were in the wrong position, if, G, if, if we were number one instead of God's glory, then we would have been idolized. And what you idolize, you eventually demonize, and Jesus thus couldn't be trusted with our souls. And so it's kind of getting deep there. I didn't really plan to go into that, but here's the big idea. Jesus primarily died for God the Father's glory. 
his will, his goodness. It was God's perfect will that Jesus should be crushed in our place for our sins. Secondarily, he loves us and he loves us so much. You'll never know how much he loves you. He died for us. He is this ultimate missionary come to do the will of God and teach the word of God. He is in and of himself the word of God. Now, here's what's crazy. Okay, If that's truly what Jesus did, if that's truly what Jesus was and is, ultimately a missionary, here's what's crazy. That means that living on mission, that missions, that being a missionary is not part of Christianity. It is Christianity. If, if, Following Jesus is Christianity, right? And Jesus is a missionary on mission to redeem the world from its sin. Then following Jesus is living as a missionary. Thus, Christianity is missions. This is not part of our Christian life. This is ultimately our Christian life. We follow Jesus. Jesus came on mission. We live on mission. Jesus made disciples, and his disciples go and make disciples. That in turn go and make disciples. This is how Jesus has chosen to redeem the world. He said this to his disciples. He appointed 12 that they might be with him so that, they, that he might send them out to preach. Send them out. There's our word for missionary. That's Mark 3.14. In Matthew's gospel, these 12 disciples, Jesus sends out. He says, as God has sent me, so send I you. Sorry, that's in John. John 20, 21. The Father sent me. I'm a missionary. Now you're following me. You're a missionary. I've been sent. You've been sent. John 20, 21. The Matthew passage I was referring to, Matthew 10, 5 and 16. Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. And so what we see here is that you cannot follow Jesus. The 12 disciples couldn't follow Jesus without being missionaries. It is intrinsically what it is to follow Jesus. Okay? It, 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 it is the makeup of following Jesus. Okay? So the 12 disciples could not escape this. Neither can any disciple 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later, this fact still remains. Jesus was sent to save us. We've been saved and sent from him. Still the fact, still the truth. There is no such thing as a Christian not on mission. Okay, so here's the idea. If, it, if being on mission is Christianity, which is what we've asserted so far, then here's the second thing that that means. And this will blow your mind. This changes everything, I think, about the way we think of gospel mission. And here's what I'd say. If Christianity is following Jesus, following Jesus is being on mission, then... The question for you who are saved is not, are you a missionary? The question is, are you a faithful or unfaithful missionary? That's the only question. This question of missionary, whether we are one or not, was solved the moment we met Jesus. Now, when you're young in Christ and mature in Christ, you're on the milk of the word, you may not know it. Now, funny enough, Though we may not know salvation equals becoming a disciple that makes disciples directly the moment we get saved. Isn't it interesting that many who do get saved, this is particularly true of first, uh, first generation Christians who get saved a little later in life. Isn't it funny how they immediately become the world's best evangelists? 
the world's best disciple makers, the world's best missionaries, uh, without being told, be a missionary, without being told, here's how you make disciples, without being told, uh, you're a Christian now, that means you're on a mission, go be faithful with the mission. Those who get saved, particularly those in the first generation, a little later in life, particularly them, not always just them, but particularly them, they tend to immediately identify, if you will, as a missionary. They typically immediately go into that line of work and, and tell all their friends about Christ with fervor, with excellence even. It's just what you're born again to do. And it's innate in all those who receive the Holy Spirit. Though I will admit, I've been saved now since I was 17, so was that 14 years? Uh, there are times when this dies down in us, when the fervor kind of dissipates. There are times where we backslide. There are times where we lose our first love or we grow lukewarm. Been there, done that, do it all the time. And so we have to sort of remember the things we did at first as Jesus tells the church of Ephesus. We have to return to our first love. And sometimes, though, we are on mission we grow unfaithful in the mission and have to rekindle our identity as missionaries. We have to reignite our passion for the work we were called to do simultaneously with our salvation. We are, we are sometimes in the position where we have to remember some things we've forgotten about our call or our, our job, our work as those who follow Jesus. Um, and so let's do that. Let's remember, what are we doing? When we, why, why are we living on mission? Why are we a church on mission to seeking to save those who are lost, to tell people about Jesus, to witness, however you want to put it? Why? Why gospel missions? Well, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record. I know I'm going to sound like I'm on repeat mode. But we live out mission because Jesus was on mission for us. We attempt to tell others about Jesus. We attempt to show the love of Jesus to others. We go as one sent because Jesus came as one sent. He shared the message with us. He demonstrated great love towards us with his work, particularly on the cross. Jesus was sent by God the Father, knowing from the foundation of the world that he was to be the lamb who was slain, and he came for us Anyway, he made it all possible for us to be redeemed, righteous, and heading for an eternal home in heaven. He saved us with his missionary work, and as a direct result, we ought to be stirred up to go out to see the salvation of others as a result of our missionary work. Right? We have to be stirred up over and over again by the incarnation and virgin birth, not just at Christmas time. <laughs> But every time, right, Jesus went from heaven to earth. Jesus was sent from a throne to the womb of a virgin teenage girl. He came so far to catch our attention, to teach us some things, to do things for us, and eventually save us from our sin. The length he went should cause us to listen to the message, to love the message, and then to go far for someone else. Um, when you really are captivated by the incarnation and the virgin birth, how far Jesus came, the message of salvation is sort of 
it's almost like it lights back up for you. I mean, just how, how far did Jesus come? I mean, it should really open our eyes. I mean, if someone walked across the country just to deliver a message to you, I feel like you would really listen to that message. If someone flew across the world to walk up to your door, knock on it, and give you a message, I feel like you'd really listen to that message and love that message. I remember one time I was on a mission trip to a little island called Antigua when I was young. I think I was 18. And it's right after I met Jesus, went on a mission trip, going to this little island, and I did VBS with some other folks, and we're running VBS. Now, VBS in Antigua isn't just like five-year-olds. It's like up to like 25-year-olds. <laughs> at least that week it was. I mean, there were teenagers, young adults at VBS. There wasn't much to do in their community, so when we threw an event, everybody came. And so I was with people my own age teaching the Bible, and particularly teenagers, and I really wasn't getting their attention too much. Um, I didn't feel like I was getting, um, just, I didn't feel like I was really captivating them. So I remember one day while I was teaching through the lesson, I just mentioned, you know, I flew all the way from the States. Here's how much, and I just probably shouldn't have done this, but this is what I did. I mean, I was 18, so, you know, uh, love covers multitude of sins. I asked for yours, but I told them how much the plane ticket was and how much I had to raise to come on the trip. And I remember very, I really do remember this. Just certain, I remember one of the kids, like probably 16 years old, his eyes just got huge. And I had his attention the rest of the time. That this guy spent a couple thousand, had to raise a couple thousand dollars to come tell me this. What is it that you're going to tell me? And the idea is whatever Jesus did when he came from heaven to earth, that virgin birth, that incarnation, that, that whole story, Jesus came infinitely further than anyone could ever go to give you this, this word. That he loves you despite your sin. He paid it all. He rose again. And heaven is available for all who believe. And righteousness is available for all who believe. And the spirit is available for all who believe. And his power is available for all who believe. He came to tell you. And the idea is when we're wrapped up in that, we'll go very, very far. We'll go to great lengths to tell one another. We'll pay a great price to tell one another. Because a great price was paid to tell us. And so why, why gospel missions? Well, Jesus was a missionary, came to us. We're a missionary. We go out to others. Additionally, missions is how God works in the world. I want to read a passage to you. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Missions is how God is working in this world right now. Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? I love when the Bible is easy to understand. Now, I love when the Bible is hard to understand too, right? I read the book of Revelation. I read the last part of Daniel. I don't understand it, but I read it because I love the Bible no matter what. But I really like it when I don't have to work super hard at getting what it's saying. And this is one of those times. So this passage is quite lovable. Okay, in this passage, through the form of questions, Paul gives us five elementary facts, five basic, easy to understand facts. Fact number one he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Fact number two, 
to call on his name, they must believe in him, right? So they're turning from sin, turning to the Savior, one whom they probably, uh, especially after the resurrection, they cannot see uh, with the human eye, but they believe, okay? So they call on his name when they believe in him. Fact number three, to believe in him, they have to hear about him. Fact number four, to hear about him, someone must preach him. And then fact number five, to preach him, someone must be sent. Someone must be a missionary. Love these easy to understand five facts that Paul gives us quickly in Romans 10. Because these five facts beautifully, easily summarize God's ultimate plan to redeem the world through Jesus and through his church. I mean, when you really get these five facts, you start to change the way you view yourself the way you view your worth, the way you view your existence, the way you view your importance to the mission. I mean, it is beautiful that though we are the lowest of sinners, God has called us to the highest ranks of his work. See, God could have spread his message any way he wanted to. He could have called the angels to herald it. He could have called the clouds in the sky to write it out every morning. He could have written it with his own hand on the sands of the sea for all to, to, to read. But what he did is he chose people to spread his message and he chose us to spread his message. He says in Matthew 28, go ye to all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? He said ye, and here's the thing, I'm a ye and you're a ye and you and me, we are ye. And so when God says, go ye, he's talking to you and me. And this shows us that he has elevated us, that he has placed us in a high rank in his army, on his mission, that he has said, you are a chosen vessel, that you're not here by mistake or accident for no reason, but your life has true meaning, true purpose, the truest meaning, the truest purpose, the highest purpose, and that is to give out my message and to do my work to be the hands and feet of Jesus after his resurrection, right? I mean, it really changes the game when you realize you are the church. You, not the building, not me, not the guy paid to do it, not the talented people that always are up front, or at Griggs, the sort of talented people who are always up front. You, you are the, the messenger, God placed you down here with a job. This is true in two ways. The primary way we've seen it, know it, and, and get it is when it's vocational. Now, this does happen, right? So I think in uh, Romans 10, there's a piece of it to where you can take it vocationally. How should they preach except they be sent? I do think in certain aspects of this context, Paul is talking about early churches gathering funds and sending apostles, sending preachers and pastors to new areas to preach the gospel that many would believe. I do think he's talking about this idea of vocational missions, and we take that very seriously. So at our church, by God's grace only, no credit of ours, I think we support right now seven guys and one, uh, one lady on mission somewhere in the world. So we got people in Honduras, Africa, um, I believe uh, West Greenville, we got people um, 
I know we have uh, someone in um, the Philippines that goes back and forth to the Philippines, Mexico, Chris and Sarah Collins. So we want to do that. We want to send out vocational missionaries who get out there and they stay a while uh, as a job. I think that's part of what Romans 10 is talking about. How should they hear without a preacher? And I think some preachers go to do it full time. The Bible talks about this. That an elder who teaches the scripture is worthy of double honor. We give them some support. They go teach as a job. Now, I do think that's part of it, but here's the deal. That's not all of it, right? That we need to totally change the way we think about missions. Because remember, if you're in Christ, the question is not if you're a missionary, it's whether or not you are a faithful or unfaithful missionary. So here's what I'd tell you. I would say that the word Paul uses in Romans 10, 15, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? That word tips us off to the fact that this is not just talking about what we understand as a vocational missionary, okay? Because this Greek word here, very interesting, is the word caruso. It's a Greek word. Um, and caruso, we translate it to be preach. Great word. Let's do it. Um, let's preach. Let's call it preach. Nothing wrong with that word. However, that's really not the word. Caruso, the word is more like what a newscaster does. It's more like what an anchorman does. It's more like the idea of heralding something. Okay, so get the picture. Go old school for a second. Think back in the day before the internet, right? The king's got a message to give to his people. There was a guy in the kingdom called the herald. And his job, I mean, he sat there until the king had something to say. Then he was summoned. The king gave him the message written down. It was sealed with the royal seal. He's sent out to the public in the town square, gathers around, and he goes on behalf of God, uh, uh, well, uh, the king's authority. Um, he goes on behalf of the king's authority to share the message and then to come back to the king. That word Caruso, that word herald, is something all of us can do, should do, and are called to do. That word Caruso isn't just something that happens behind a pulpit. That word Caruso, that heralding, that sharing the news, that happens across tables, that happens at coffee shops, that happens on phone calls, that happens in text messages, that happens anywhere people are gathered and the message is shared. That, that's not so much just a vocational thing that only vocational preachers can do. That is something that we are all capable, able, and called to do. Now, here's, here, and you say, well, how do you know we're all capable of doing it? Here's why. Okay, Caruso, this idea of to herald, means just that. You're just saying what the king said, okay? And this is where we got to change. This is where I think our thinking changes a lot on this idea of witnessing or gospel mission. Okay, what is, when, when we think of the word Caruso, think of the word herald, we are simply saying what he told us to say. That leaves out debate. Many times, I think we think sharing our faith equals debate. And not all of us like the confrontation, the argument, proving facts, citing sources, wondering if we're, if we're remembering this right or that verse or this, this reference. There, there is no call to debate. Now, the Bible does say to be ready to give an answer. So I would say there is a call to back up 
what you're saying to some degree. But there is no call to really, I don't really think there's a call to win an argument. And that's where a lot of our fears on gospel mission lie. I don't think there really is a call to give satisfying answers to very complicated questions that are peripheral to the gospel. Um, Questions about why God would allow evil. Questions about why um, there's only one way of salvation. Deeper questions that Many have studied for centuries. These, these, I mean, it's good to talk about those things. If you know those things, answer those things. But the call is not some perfectly satisfactory answer for everyone's deeper, secondary questions. Because the truth is, that doesn't change the heart anyway. Apologetics is great for defending our faith for those who are saved, but apologetics doesn't win people to Christ. You see... Information alone is not what we're sharing. We're sharing information from a king who really, really loves them. And accepting that love is what brings them to Christ. The information is there. It's part of it. It's preeminent even. But it's not just facts and figures. And thus, here's the idea. You're not called to win a debate. You're not called to win an argument. You're not, you're not being asked to outsmart anyone. You're just called to say what Jesus said. And you don't even have to necessarily figure out a way to say all of what Jesus said. I remember, particularly in youth group, we always did like um, like missionary, or uh, like we trained to go out and share our faith. And it was almost like we had to say something about creation, about sin, about Jesus' perfect life, death, resurrection. We had to say everything in like this real succinct way. I don't even know that that's the call. Now, if you have time, if it's a longer conversation, if you get it, chance, I think you say all you can say. But I don't even know that you have to be prepared to summarize 66 books in 66 seconds. I think it's more just saying the truth of Jesus in a way that the Lord allows it to proceed forth from you in that moment. It could be something as simple as, well, you know, God loves you and I love you. And if you ever need to talk, let me know. I would say that that is sharing your faith. You believe that there's a God. You believe that there's a God of love. And you've shared that. Just saying that even just that small, you're heralding this idea that there's a Jesus, that he saves. This is something all of us are capable of because it's simply saying what Jesus said. Jesus said, we're sinners. Jesus said, I love you. Jesus said, my life is a ransom for many. Jesus said, I'm rising from death. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Saying these things is living our gospel mission. And it's something all of us can do. And when we do it, Jesus saves people. Make no mistake, the gospel works. God's word does not return void. This is how he works in the world. As he uses us to herald the word. And it goes forth and the light shines in the darkness and there's repentance and there is belief. There are new people in the kingdom, new disciples being made, and the mission is met. Let's end with this. How do we live our mission? And let's hit this real quick before we go. One last thing to think of, because we're talking a little bit about changing the way we think about sharing our faith and living our mission. 
And, and, and here's, how, here's what I'd say when it comes to this idea of, okay, we want to be a people of gospel mission. We know why we want to be on mission. Jesus did it for us. This is how God works in the world. How do we do it? I would say that this comes with a shift in thinking. And that shift in thinking is this. One, you have to start thinking about wherever you are as the mission field. Like you're on the mission field. Like you are, if you're somewhere in an apartment, you are likely, though there's walls in the way, you are likely no less than 30 feet away from someone who doesn't know Jesus. So you're in the field, right? I live in a townhome. I'm connected through this wall to someone else. I am probably 10 to 12 feet away from someone else, right? We are on the mission field. We do not have to go very far to get to the mission field. I think that's a big shift in thinking. I think when we think of living on mission, somehow we think, particularly those of us who've been saved a while, most of our friends are Christians, we, have, we start thinking, okay, well now I gotta go out and I gotta make you know, a dozen non-Christian friends and give them the gospel. And typically when we start thinking that way, we're gonna go try to make non-Christian friends, not out of love, but out of guilt, because we don't wanna be guilty of not being on mission. And then if you go make friends out of guilt, you're not really making friends anyway, because that's a really bad reason to go out and make friends that are non-Christians. Right. And the truth is, you just need to shift your thinking, is that no, there's, you're already in the middle of the field. Right? There's not a whole lot of work to do to get there. The truth is, there are non-Christians in our life, whether we realize it or not. Like if you do kids ministry at our church, those kids coming on the van... Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are non-Christians. So if you're doing kids ministry at our church, boom, you're on the field, right? And there are non-Christians who visit our church all the time, every week when we're open and not about to get slammed with a pandemic. There's Christians, non-Christians who visit all the time. When you see yourself as a greeter, because we're all on the greeter team, and you invest by going and shaking a hand and saying hi to a visitor, boom, you're on mission. The truth is... Uh, that there are places that you can volunteer in a moment that'll take your help any second. Uh, um, Harvest Hope, Miracle Hill, uh, GOAT, um, Salvation Army, right? And when you go to serve the people who are being served there, many of them are non-Christians. And right when you step in to serve, you're on mission. There are non-Christians at work. There are non-Christians in your family. There are non-Christians on your Facebook friends list list and and right there just on facebook boom you're on mission in the mission field good work you got to the field okay so you don't have to go work at getting into the field you just have to shift the way you think about it additionally you have to have compassion over contempt another huge shift in thinking okay here's the idea Right, let's say, let's take that Facebook idea. Let's say you're on your Facebook newsfeed. Somebody throws out some, some idea that is contrary to our faith. Maybe it's even antagonistic to our faith. Okay, so maybe they're talking about atheism, or they're talking about some difficulty or problem they see in the church. That's why they don't, they're never going to go. And they might be, they might have seen a problem and difficulty in the church. I mean, the church has wounded people. This has happened. This is not. There may not be lying, okay? The idea is some, something somewhere, you're on your news feed, you see someone upset with the gospel, with the church, denying the gospel, rejecting it, perhaps even saying something antagonistic towards it, okay? Our inclination is contempt. That's what we're tempted to do. 
because all we see is them in the here and now, perhaps being ugly on Facebook. Or perhaps you, you know an alcoholic and you see them in the here and now. And you know they're non-Christian drinking their life away. A drug addict, non-Christian using their life away. Or perhaps it's someone at work who's just, their mouth is always dirty. They're, they don't believe and they are just cussing everybody out. And, it's, and you just have contempt for being around them because it is hard to be around them, perhaps. Okay. Here's the idea, is that we need to start thinking about people. Thinking of people way past where they are in the moment we see them. If all we see is people in their sin, right, and we forget that one time we were those people without Jesus and are those people without Jesus, okay, if we just see people in the moment and in their sin, it's easy to have contempt. But we, to, to really get a heart for sharing our faith, for mission, we have to begin to see people not just where they're at right now, but where they've been. Because at one point, this was a child, a little child who cried out when they were hungry, who needed caring hands to carry them through life. This was a five-year-old who was excited about their birthday. At one point, this was a 10-year-old who just all he could dream about was getting up, riding his bike, or if it's uh, the, this day and age, all they could think about was getting up and getting their parents' phone to play Animal Crossing, right? There, this was once a teenager with dreams, vision. This was once a, a young adult with their first job. Okay, wherever they are right now, you have to start thinking about people in terms of where they've been. And then you also have to start thinking them in terms of where they're going. This will one day be an elderly man or an elderly woman, perhaps in a nursing home, needing the care of a constant supervisor just to survive. This will one day be someone who cannot feed themselves maybe who will be struck with dementia. This will be an elderly person. And then go even further. This will one day be a soul that is released from the body to eternal life or to eternal death. That this will one day be someone in heaven with Jesus or separated from him. And when you start seeing people in the scope of all that they are, from childhood to eternity, when you start seeing them in that light, then... Instead of contempt, you have compassion. Because you see that we're all just beggars who need that bread of life. And when we have compassion, heralding isn't scary. Caruso, heralding, to give the gospel isn't scary. It's glorious. It's easy. It's fun. It's something we aim to do and wish to do. When we're in contempt for someone, we want to ignore them. Compassion leads us to engage them. Contempt leads us to berate them. Compassion, we're just seeking to build any bridge we can with them, no matter what sin they are in. Contempt, we just want to inform them because they're wrong. Compassion, we want to help them because they're broken. It's a huge difference. When we have compassion, we seek to meet their physical and spiritual needs, not just prove something to them with words, but with our physical acts of love. When we have this heart of compassion, we reach out and, and we see how they're doing, not as an opponent on a debate stage, but we see how they're doing as a person, as a person. Now, once you start caring about how someone is truly doing as a person, it will not take long before you find out they are not doing well because they are indeed a person. It doesn't take long for us to be hurting 
You might be in a season right now where you are doing great. And in a week, coronavirus can shut down your job. And you can be worried about your next paycheck. And your kids are home all day. And you have no time to go look for new jobs. I mean, just in a moment, we could be not doing very well. So it won't come long before they're not doing very well. And you will be given this huge opportunity to meet physical needs that build trust in us so that we can share a message about their spiritual needs that builds trust in Jesus. Jesus. This is what Jesus did, like two pedals on a bike. He didn't just meet physical needs with never preaching the gospel, and he didn't just meet spiritual needs without ever helping someone physically. Like two pedals on a bike, he's meeting physical and spiritual needs all the time. Building trust and credibility, preaching the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. This is disciple making. Physical needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. That pendulum, that over and over, those two pedals, that's how we get through this journey of missions. And so like Jesus, we feed the 5,000. Like Jesus, we sit them down and we teach what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. This was Jesus' model. This is our model. And the reason this is Jesus' model was because it came from his heart, which was a heart of compassion. This will be our model when we gain a heart of compassion. Here's the last verse we'll look at. We're closing up. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Jesus says this. This is an unbelievable. I mean, this, at this verse, the stars should fall, the earth should quake, and we should bow. This is unbelievable. He said, Matthew 9, 36, but when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now remember, these are bad people, sinful people, disagreeable people, but no contempt from Jesus. No, he loves bad people. He loves sinful people. He loves disagreeable people. He came to seeking to save those who were not deserving, but undeserving of his love. That's why we call it grace. It's like our whole thing. And so he's moved with compassion, not contempt. And he says to his disciples, he like turns in the midst. I can see tears coming down his cheeks in the midst of this compassion welling up inside of him. He turns to his disciples and here's what he says. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth, which is our word for missions, laborers into his harvest. Jesus told his disciples in a heart of compassion, in this moment of overwhelming love for a scattered people, broken in their sin, he says, pray that more people live on mission. Pray that more people are faithful with the mission. Pray, pray, pray that we get more than 12 of you to go take care of all these souls. Now here's the question. The question is not, are we missionaries? If you're in Christ, that, that is answered, yes. Here's the question, though. Will we be the answer to this prayer and be laboring missionaries? Faithful missionaries who not only stand in the field like we do, but bend down and begin to harvest. As hard as of work that can be, as hard as that can be emotionally, as fearful as that can be, as confrontational as that can feel, especially in our culture, where there's not supposed to be a right and a wrong or an absolute truth, as difficult as it can be, will you be the answer to those disciples' prayers, those 12, who likely, after this statement, did get down and pray 
for the Lord to send forth laborers into his harvest. Will you be the answer to the prayer? Will you be sent as a faithful laborer into the harvest? And I say, I think we will be. I think Griggs will be a church and continue to be a church on gospel mission, but we always have to be shifting our thinking that we're in the field in Poe Mill. We're in the field in South Carolina, and as crazy as it sounds, we're in the field, even in Greenville, the, bu the buckle of the Bible Belt. There are lost people everywhere amongst us, and we need to shift our thinking that these are not people any different than us, but they were kids who had hopes, likely dashed, problems that they faced, difficulties they've run into, heading for an eternity, and we need to see them as they are, well up with compassion, reach out, meeting physical and spiritual needs. Well, I've definitely gone on long enough, and I appreciate you sticking with me. I love you guys a lot, and I'm here to pray for you if you have any requests at all. Remember to hook up with us on the Pomo Prayer Chain Facebook uh, if anybody needs anything, you can request help at gregschurch.com slash coronavirus. And you can request anything you need help with, and we'll give it a shot to help you out. Um, I'll give you a quick story. This is pretty cool. We do have a homeless guy we got a place to stay during the next couple of days. I'm not going to go into all the details, I guess, because there's a lot. But there's been a homeless guy coming by the church. We've gotten to know him, and we've gotten him a place to stay. We've gotten to meet some needs during this time. And um, we want to meet yours too. So if anybody needs anything, let us know. We love you. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for hanging out.